0: Welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. This is a podcast all about words and language, and it's presented by me, Giles Brandreth, and my friend and colleague the world-class lexicographer, Susie Dent. How are you doing, Susie?
1: Hello, I'm very well, thank you very much. I am going back into studio very soon, which will be quite interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I can't wait to see everyone again, but there's the slight nervousness of coming out of lockdown. So how about you? Are you venturing out? I know you're tricycling around London.
0: I am venturing out. In fact, I think we all need to venture out more than we have. Uh, as I speak, there have not been any great resurgences of COVID-19, thank the Lord. My instinct is that we won't be into the new normal until actually we embrace in a way the old normal. Um, I think I'm going to campaign for the 1st of September, which happens to be the Feast of St. Giles, to be a day on which we suddenly say, actually, let's go on living. Let's start living in. Let's open the theatres once more. Virtually everything else is open now. Definitely. Let's, oh, let's the just theaters. carry on.
1: I agree. Just, Although let's embrace parts of this new normal, which because it's been so much better for the planet and for our heads quite often. That's
0: true. And indeed yeah. for hygiene, we've got yes. to keep washing our hands. Yeah. We've got to be being sensible about things. We've obviously got to shield people who are more vulnerable. Yeah. But the trouble is, the more timid we stay, the more timid we become. Yeah. But it is, it is strange at first. Mm. It is strange. I'm still finding getting to sleep a little bit difficult, mm-hmm. but I, I tell you what I've been doing this week in order to get to sleep is I have been repeating to myself some of my favourite nursery rhymes. Oh, I'm, I've been going back to childhood. I think I'm doing that generally because. Well, I remember you, you're saying
1: your dreams are taking you back to childhood and your your mum reading to you.
0: Uh, indeed. Uh, yeah. She actually came into one of my dreams. She was reading me a story. Mm. And as you know, I've got this tricycle, which I last was riding the streets of London in a tricycle when I was six years old. And I'm back doing oh, <laughs> virtually 60 years later, well, more than 60 years later. And to get to sleep the other night, I was doing uh, nursery rhymes in my head. You know, umpty dumpty, had a great fall. And then I thought, this is something we should be talking about because they're amongst the things that we learnt first, and they're mostly very, very old. I mean, nursery rhymes have been around, well, certainly from the mid-16th century, they have been recorded in English plays. Mm. And, and most of the ones I think we know today will date from the 16th, 17th, 18th century. I've seen at the Bodleian Library, when I made a film about this for the one show, a lovely little collection called Tommy Thumb's Songbook. And then there was a, a sequel, Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook. And they were published in 1744. And they're just full of nursery rhymes like Ring of Roses, things that we know today. Yeah. So these have been going around for centuries. So I wondered if we could explore... Nursery rhymes today.
1: I would love to. I find it a fascinating subject because throughout history. In fact, various different meanings have been superimposed upon these nursery rhymes. And it's very difficult because they were very much part of this oral tradition that were passed on through reading and through, you know, sending kids and you to sleep. And they weren't always written down. Or if they were written down, there were just hundreds of different versions of them. And, you know, there are people who just love to find historical meaning within them. And, you know, it might well be that a lot of them do have historical significance in terms of current events etc. But that for me is the fascination that we can't quite get hold of them, but that doesn't stop us trying. And Humpty Dumpty is a great one to start with. We should probably say, Josh, shouldn't we, that most of the ones that we'll be talking about today, I guess, are very much of a a British tradition. And we would love to hear some nursery rhymes from further afield from the purple people who live beyond Britain, because there must be some fantastic ones out there that we have no idea about at all.
0: And though happily Humpty Dumpty has gone global, thanks to Lewis Carroll, who of turned him into a character in Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass and made him a universal figure.
1: Exactly. So Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall.
0: Humpty Dumpty had a great fall.
1: All the king's horses.
0: And all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again.
1: Do you know the history of this one? Is it
0: to do with Richard III? That rings a bell in my head.
1: Well... He had a hump. He had a hump. No, not not oh. to do with anyone with a literal hump. So the real Humpty Dumpty was thought not to be an egg, but a really powerful cannon that was used by the royalist forces during the English Civil War. And there was a battle that was known as the Siege of Colchester, in which the supporters of Charles I almost won the day, all thanks to Humpty Dumpty, because it was basically sat on top of the Church Tower of St. Mary at the Walls, which had... In this particular battle, a gunner who, according to legend, was known as One-Eyed Thompson and he managed to blast away the attacking roundheads for 11 whole weeks. Can you imagine? that? That's how the story goes. Until, sadly, the top of the church tower was eventually blown away, sending Humpty Dumpty the cannon crashing to the ground, said to have buried itself in deep marshlands. And sadly, all the king's horses and all the king's men really couldn't put Humpty the cannon back together again. So it's a nickname for a cannon. Massive siege cannon, yes. Boaty McBoatface.
0: Humpty Dumpty. I mean, it's almost on a matter big.
1: It is. And the reason why he's an egg for most of us is, as you say, because of Through the Looking Glass, because the illustrator's iconic drawing has Humpty shaped as an egg with short arms and short legs. Is that the first time he becomes an egg? That's how he became an egg, yes. Tenniel
0: was the name of the artist.
1: Okay. Mm. So that's in the late 19th century. So that's why we see Humpty Dumpty as an egg. Um, he was all top, wasn't he? So it's the impossibility of putting anything back together again because he was just one big blob. Oh.
0: Gosh, well, that's very good. Well, yes. I'll give you some more. Half okay. a pound of tuppany rice, half a pound oh, yes. of treacle. That's, that's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. It's
1: always, isn't it? Oh, it that's the good.
0: Oh, she, that, that wasn't a sound effect. I could actually see her doing it. And yes. she put her finger, her COVID free finger, inside her cheek and popped it. Oh, I, I don't think i dare do that. Did you not scratch her? <laughs> Did I scratch we, my ooh, finger?
1: No, but I, I clearly wasn't really thinking about COVID. But given that I'm at home, I'm hoping that will be okay. So, yes, I love this one because it was really popular in Victorian theatres and music halls. And again, various possible origins attributed to it. But the one that I really like is all about getting enough money to go in and out the eagle. So, there's a third line, well, let, let's do the whole verse. It's half a yes, pound of tuppenny
0: Half a pound of tuppenny rice. What's that
1: about? Half Half a pound of treacle. These are things on the shopping list. That's the way the money goes. That's what I spend it on. Pop goes the weasel. Now, it's thought that weasel here is rhyming slang, cockney rhyming slang for weasel and stoat coat. So to pop something was to pawn it. It was to go to the pawnbroker shop and pawn it to get some money. So the idea is that this person, in order to pay for half a pound of tuppany rice and half a pound of treacle, they pawned their coat but also the third verse tells us up and down the city road in London, in and out the Eagle pub. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. So the idea is that they are pawning their coat in order to fund both oh. the Treacle, the Tuppany Rice, and the liquor.
0: So there's a model to this, actually. Yeah. If you spend your if you waste your money on these fripperies like yeah. Tuppany Rice and Treacle and popping in and out of the pub, yeah. you'll end up having to pawn. The very coat. coat on your
1: back. Yes. There is an alternative theory. I'll just tell you this one. It's it's nice. It's generally not as accepted as the um, pawning your coat one. But in the textile industry, a spinner's weasel is a device apparently used for measuring out yarn. And it made a popping sound when the correct length had been reached. So the idea is that it was the pop of the weasel that, that brought you kind of back to, you know life if you were kind of a bit preoccupied or daydreaming so that's that's the alternative one but i i definitely like the pawning the coat one
0: yeah I, the pawning the coat was the one i've i've heard about yes. give me another one one of your favorites
1: goosey goosey gander do you remember this one this is not so well known
0: goosey goosey gander remember the next one? where do i wander oh, upstairs yeah. downstairs it's whither do i wander that's it goosey whither goosey shall gander I wander? Whither shall I wander? Upstairs, downstairs, in my lady's chamber. There I met an old man who wouldn't say his prayers. Is that right?
1: I took him I, by the, by le- the left leg, leg and threw him down the stairs. Kicked him down the stairs? I'm so impressed that you remembered that one. No, threw him down the stairs. I was given a proper childhood.
0: My parents were good
1: people. Yes, they really were. I wouldn't have remembered Goosey Goosey Gander. Well, shall I tell you the theory behind this one?
0: Yes, do. Who
1: knows if it's true? So again, I'm not... I bet Dr. Freud
0: could say some interesting things about this. (laughs) Goosey, goosey, gander up in the bedroom. Go on.
1: Well, exactly. Okay, so it's said to go back to 16th century England and the outlawing of Roman Catholicism by Elizabeth. And uh, that led many noble families to declare themselves to be Protestant, even though they privately remained Catholic. Uh. Um, And obviously, if they'd been caught, that would be considered treason. So the idea is that goosey, goosey, gander in the rhyme was a priest. His geese have long been associated with Rome and the Catholic Church. And it's said that in the 16th century, well, we know this, priests would hide from authorities, wouldn't they, in priest holes built within the large houses. And if a spot check was carried out, then the priest would run to the priest hole. And the authorities would search everywhere, upstairs, downstairs, and in my lady's chamber. If they found the priest hole, the old man, they'd force him to swear allegiance to the queen, If he wouldn't say his prayers and refused, he'd be tortured or punished, thrown down the stairs. So really sinister origin, potentially, Mm. to a very innocent-seeming rhyme. But as I say, with all of these, there are so many versions which would completely contradict that, because a lot of them are very innocuous. It's very hard to get a grip on them, but it's fascinating, isn't it?
0: Georgie, Porgy Pudding and Pie, Kissed the girls and made them cry. I don't know where oh, it goes yes. from there, but I do remember that.
1: When the boys Georgie came out to play,
0: play Georgie Borgie, Borgie ran, ran away. away. <laughs> yes, like all bullies, fundamentally a coward. What's <laughs> this about? Georgie Borgie putting a
1: pie. again, I can only tell you the history, potentially. The one theory, Georgie Borgie was thought to be George IV, so Prince Regent at the time, tad on the tubby side Potentially, Georgie Porgy Pudding and Pie fell in love with someone who, Maria Anne uh, Fitzherbert, who was a commoner and a Roman Catholic, but he persuaded her to have a secret marriage, apparently. He then went on to marry another one, Caroline of Brunswick, who oh, he then know. didn't like and banned from his coronation. And so yeah, was George like not made both. Man. Both the women in his life, were miserable. so He kissed the girls and made them cry.
0: That's him.
1: But who knows? Who knows? It's like sort of Bob's your uncle. Although we we potentially have a good theory as to Robert. Bob's uncle is Robert. Beals. No, Robert. Robert Balfour. So, yeah, I'll I'll tell you about that another. One. I'm going off piste, but you know, okay, it's, it's very piste. difficult to say this was the single inspiration for this one. But do you think it's again,
0: George the Fourth, the Prince Regent, married as it were secretly to Missus Fitzherbert? I think they had Then went on of to marry. Then, yeah. then he actually officially married Carolina of Brunswick. Yes. Uh, they didn't get on very well. She couldn't get into the, all that. Uh, what yes. a rascal. And this is all about him.
1: Yes. Fine. I, I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's not too far from plausibility given that, you know, if you remember all Grimm's fairy tales, etc. That they were so dark. And so it's quite possible that some of these really grim nursery rhymes well, sorry, the really apparently innocent make nursery rhymes, I should say, had sort of slightly grim backgrounds uh, or inspiration.
0: And many of the ones, certainly the English ones, seem to have a, a royal connection. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow?
1: Yes. With well, what's
0: it? Bells and cockle shells and little and pretty, maids all
1: in a row? Pretty maids all in a row. Yes, I do remember this one. Could this be Bloody Mary? And her mm. Murderous treatment of Protestants. So, some will tell you that the silver bells and cockle shells were torture devices. Okay. Um, silver bells being thumbscrews and cockle shells, ugh, instruments of torture that were attached to the genitals. Wow. Yeah, who knows? And maids in under this theory could potentially be the maiden, which was an early form of guillotine. So, who knows? But it could quite possibly be Bloody Mary. If you, are you fond of Bloody Marys? You're not actually. You're fond of Virgin Marys, aren't you? Cause you're I am. I don't drink temp. alcohol.
0: Hmm. And I'm thinking about this maiden. I think this is a, a, a torture thing
1: hmm.
0: where I don't know that it is like the guillotine. I think it's a oh. kind of metal cage in which you are prisoned, in prison called the Iron Maiden,
1: I think. Oh, there was the Iron Maiden. That's true. Let me look this up because it will be, I'm sure it will be in the OED. Yeah, maybe, maybe there were two maidens. Or either way, they were pretty torturous, weren't they? Um, an instrument similar to the guillotine used in oh. Edinburgh for beheading criminals or of higher social status, as opposed perhaps to the gibbet. Uh, oh, is it wow. gibbet or gibbet? Gibbet. Gibbet,
0: gibbet, I think.
1: so. But the Iron Maiden definitely it does exist. Of course, we know the Iron Maiden themselves exist. And I'll tell you about that one too, because you, as you guessed, it's another Pretty horrible thing. Yeah, it's supposedly used during the Middle Ages an upright box lined with iron spikes into which the victim is shut. <sighs> Yes.
0: What about Barbar Black Sheep? Have you any wool? Yes, oh. sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. One for my master, one for the dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane.
1: Mm, I think there were some very politically incorrect versions of all of these. Well, potentially the wool trade, well, huge businesses, we know the textile industry in, well, throughout the Industrial Revolution, but before then in medieval England. It's interesting. Apparently, English landowners began to count their wealth in terms of sheep, whereas before then, people would count their property in terms of cows. So some point we should go into the etymology with with cows lurking behind them because Peculiar and Fellow both have cows at their heart, which is quite interesting, all because we used to count our wealth in cows. Anyway, at this time, apparently they began to count their wealth in sheep, which is relevant to Barbar Black Sheep. But after the Crusades, Edward I imposed new taxes on the wool trade to pay for his military expeditions. And it said that one third of the price of each sack was one for the master the king, one for the dame, which is possibly the church, and none to the poor shepherd, the little boy who lives down the lane. But it does say one for the little boy in my version, does it you? Mm. And one for the little boy... Bob, Bob, black
0: sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. One for the master, one for the dame, one for the little boy. Yes, there, yes there was one for the little boy. Maybe
1: yes. in the original one, it was none for you know the poor shepherd who had tirelessly tended the flock. Oh, actually, yes. Here it says I'm reading some very helpful notes here in in this particular text that in the until the late 16th century, the final lines of the rhyme read and none for the little boy who cries down the lane. Thank you to Harriet who gave us some notes on that.
0: To remember the words, I've been having to almost tickle myself because I remember when I was a little boy, when my mother was teaching me these or reciting them to me, she used to, when the little boy ran down the lane, she'd do a little sort of little tickle you down your legs. Oh. So that's, that's coming um, back to This me.
1: little pig went to market. Remember that? Oh, one? it is.
0: This little yes. piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed at home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy had none. Yes. This little piggy went
1: wee 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 all the way <laughs> home. I can see you're such a good grandfather. Ah. After the break, let's have a break, shall we? And then, shall we go back to um, oranges and lemons? Because I used to love playing this in the playground. Oh yes. Now that is to do with Richard the Third, I'm sure. Okay, let's go back to that one. Imagine a world, a world just like our own, but importantly, not our own. Is
0: it the alternate dimension, or are we? And does it have podcasts? The last post. Hi, I'm Alice Fraser, bringing you daily
1: news from a parallel universe. It's a sweet, sweet dose of satirical news coverage, some of which will sound pretty familiar. He defended him, saying he broke the lockdown rules on a father's instinct. And I just think if Boris had shielded his as much as he's shielding Cummings, he might actually be in a position to give parenting tips. And some of it is just pretty weird.
0: Air in space is becoming much clearer, Alice. And it's quite shocking <laughs> because there is no air in space; it's empty space.
1: So join me every single day alongside great comedians from around the world, including Andy Zaltzman, Nish Kumar, Tiff Stevenson, and Will Anderson. Good luck to you.
0: I love little Pussy. Her coat is so warm, and if I don't hurt her, she'll do me no harm. Now this may seem inane, mm. but as I think you know. My wife, Michelle, and I, we have a cat living with us. She's called Nala. She's the cat that belongs to the people next door. And she's been living with us now for several (laughs) years. It's a very satisfactory arrangement because they go on paying the vet's bills. (laughs) But curiously, whenever this cat comes into the room, either my wife or I find ourselves singing. I love little pussy to her. Isn't it interesting how these things enter into one's soul and come out? Yeah. I hope that's a simple nursery rhyme that is as innocent as it sounds.
1: I don't know it. I just Sing uh, it to me again.
0: I love little pussycat. Her coat is so warm. And if I don't hurt her, she'll do me no harm.
1: I've never heard that.
0: I, I love her and pet her. and oh, I can't remember how it goes on, but it's very sweet.
1: Oh, it's and, very and sweet. Well, hopefully it is just an innocent little I rhyme think about I think pussy.
0: There is another one, isn't there, about going up to see the Queen and frighten the little cat under the chair, fighting the oh. little mouse under the chair.
1: There's also Little Miss Moffat, I've just remembered. Oh, yes, she sat who on sat on tuffet. a tuffet, yeah. eating her
0: curds and whey.
1: Yes. And then and a big spider disgusting. comes down
0: and sits beside her, and that ends up in a law court. I'm
1: sure. Can you There's imagine all the historical ones suit. that would be attached to that? Yeah. Oh, so uh, I, I just to imagine. let you know that a tuffet was a footstool or a hillock or a mound, which yeah. she could be sitting on. Anyway, something uh, round and soft. Um, I hope
0: some of these nursery Rhymes are innocent, but some of them... Aunt. What were you going to tell me
1: about next? Oh, oranges and lemons. Well. Oh, yes. British listeners will possibly remember older British listeners. I don't know if this this one is still performed in playgrounds up and down the country, but essentially, children form hands to form a little archway, and then not under
0: social distancing, they don't. Oh no, you can't touch no no touching,
1: of course not. And then the other kids form a line to pass under the arch, and then on the last word, which we will come to, they kind of let down their arms, and there's a chopper to catch the child passing through. Do you remember this one? Do you remember all the others?
0: Go on oh, then. I'll try to. Okay. Oranges and lemons. Say the bells of Saint Clements.
1: You owe me. You
0: owe three me farthings. five farthing, three farthings. Say the bells of Saint Martins. Martins. Uh, how shall I pay you? Say the bells of Old Bailey. How
1: will you pay me? Says the How bells will you ba- pay <laughs>
0: me? Say the bells of Old Bailey. What's next?
1: When I grow rich.
0: When I grow rich, say the big bells of Shoreditch. And when will that be? And when will that be? Says say the, the great bell
1: of St. Mary. Stepney. Stepney. <laughs> I do not know, says the I great do- bell, at bell Bow. of
0: Bow. And
1: so then so this these is old the key bells thing. Bells
0: in the churches of the city of. London. Well, in London, exactly. England. Yes. And then it
1: finishes with, and this is the bit where the chopper comes down and the kids' yes. arms come down in line. Here comes a candle to light you, light to, you bed, to bed. And here comes, here comes the a chopper, chopper to, to chop, chop off, off your, your head. head. Chop. Chop, chop, chop,
0: chop. And if you're going under at that very moment, you're the one who's caught and is out of the game.
1: Exactly. Uh, well, it was very, very old, like us. It was first published in 1665. And in the rhyme, the bells, as you say, all London churches, most of which withstood the great fire of London happily. And so it plots a journey through London using these churches as landmarks. So all very, very nice. Let's just go through it again. So it's oranges and lemons, say the bells of St. Clement's. Why oranges and lemons? Well potentially St. Clements was close to the docks where cargoes of citrus fruits, so oranges and lemons, arrived from the Caribbean.
0: And this is why the drink is called the St. Clements. When you order a St. Clements, it's orange
1: juice and lemon juice. Ah, uh, well, there you go. And according to the... Dickens in the Pickwick papers porters would collect their fruit from those docks and then use the churchyard as a shortcut potentially paying St Clement's Church a toll as they did so Mm. but just to add more sinister note condemned men were also unloaded at the docks and taken through the streets Mm. to a public execution so of course the bells of churches might well have um, rung their death knell, and that could be the theme that goes on throughout so the church of St Martin's was apparently an area that had Lots of pawn shops. I owe you five farthings. At the old bailey, as we know, the old law courts, the clerk of the church was given the responsibility of ringing a bell outside the condemned cells at midnight, urging them to, to prayer and penance. I, I'd call him um, the clerk of the church, but clerk, I don't know not clerk. International. No, that's American. Sorry, American English clerk, absolutely. And when will you pay me? Potentially, in that sense, it could be the payment of the debt that prisoners about to make was was not going to be in money, but with his or her life. So, yes, potentially sinister. But once again, lots and lots of different, you know, different versions of it. So, who knows? But I, I do think these are all really fascinating. Well,
0: they've been very. We've been very Anglo-centric because I think these are all British in origin. Yeah. Or they feel very British, and we have a global audience which is very exciting for us. So if you are one of our listeners in South or North America, in Australia, in India, in the Far East, and you have a nursery rhyme from your part of the world that you'd like to share with us, either to see if we can research the origins or where you know the story, please do let us know. And also actually correct us because some of what we've been saying, we may have been regurgitating urban myths, to- oh, you- totally.
1: I'm sure I am in some cases, but quite knowingly. But I think in some some ways that's really fascinating, but I'd love to hear other theories if, if our listeners have them. Can I just also say, just as a personal touch, that for years and years and years, and even today, if my youngest daughter has nightmares, I will sing My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean because that was just a traditional song that I would sing over and over. We knew that it was a long song and we've forgotten some of the verses. So we looked up and we found a Scouts version. Uh-huh. And now we Sing the Scouts version, which is always makes me laugh. And this is the one that just really has us in giggles always, has which it? was last night as I lay on my pillow, last night as I lay on my bed, I stuck my feet out of the window in the morning, the neighbors were dead. <laughs> Um, (laughs) My mother makes beer in the bathtub. My father makes synthetic gin. My sister makes fudge for a quarter. Would you believe how the money rolls in? And so it goes on. But this is the Scouts version and it's absolutely brilliant.
0: It's hilarious. It's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I I didn't know that's what modern Scouting was all about.
1: It's fantastic. (laughs) No, it's uh, very, very good. Have we had any correspondence this week? Anyone been in touch? We have so much correspondence. I, I know we always say this, but it's important to say this, that actually the show would be nothing, obviously nothing without our listeners, but also nothing without all the emails that come in.
0: It's very simple. If you want to get in touch with us, you simply contact us, purple at com. That's something without a G. A very amusing letter here from Jack. Hello, hmm. both. I wonder if you would be able to help me with the origin of this saying. My friends called me at 11 p.m. steaming. And my boyfriend asked me what the commotion was. I replied that it was my friend's pissed as a fart, meaning (laughs) they were drunk. Mm. We both knew what I meant, but it got me thinking about how bizarre and nonsensical the phrase is. How can one be pissed as a fart? Mm. Do farts get pissed? And how does this relate to being drunk? I hope you can shed some light on this for us. Much love and many thanks, Jack. Excellent.
1: Oh, it's an excellent one. I wish that I could, but it's just completely nonsensical. As so many of these similes are. Someone asked me on Countdown the other day about writer's rain. You know, what's writer's rain? So I looked it up and actually it's not just rain, it's been writer's a trivet, right as a bannister. I mean, just very odd objects that have been chosen for the simile. Uh, well, I don't quite writer's right
0: rain. Rain falls that's in a literary. straight line.
1: Oh well that's true. Writers right rain.
0: It's both alliterative, but also steroids, exactly. Writer's yeah. rain. Whereas pisters of fart, well, I suppose a fart is the breaking of wind. It's noxious.
1: Oh it's Yes, not, very- not intoxicating though. I th- do you know what? I think it's just, you know, it's one person's riff that then kind of took off. Do you think it's a um, variation of pistons the newt? Well, pissed as a newt is another. They were completely. so pissed.
0: They couldn't even say pissed as a newt. It's pissed as a fart. I was pissed as a fart. I, I don't,
1: I just children. don't know. What would you say? What would your simile be then? I don't know. Pissed as the, pissed as but a. The day is young. I'm, um, I'm, I'm pissed as the night young. I think, is young. You know, they're about, uh, they're schnockled and schnockered and munted and, oh, I mean, there's just, yes. you know. Just so many words for being and drunk. Let's face it, is a pigs
0: whistle at midnight. Yes, it's just a sort of silly phrase, isn't it?
1: Yes, oh, oh, that's a good is a one. Fart. Just looking up now when the first quotation for pisters of fart is. It's not actually listed as a separate thing in the OED, but it's in 1990s. It might well go back earlier than that. Pisters and newt would be uh, earlier, but still 20th century. But you know what? In Roman times, I think I might have told you what they used to use as a simile for Pist. It oh. was pissed as a thrush. And it's Ooh. possibly because of the thrushes that used to teeter around the vineyards and drink from the vats of fermented grapes. And so you would be as drunk as a thrush. Uh, so that was their simile. So we've had very many over the years.
0: Well, there you are, Jack. Not totally satisfactory Sorry. answer, but an answer of sorts. Of sorts, yes. Can you do better with this? Mm -hmm. Question from Justin Boxhill, Susie. Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by tennis players comparing how they bludgeon people with good shots and don't feel bad. What is the word for saying sorry when you aren't sorry? And where did the term come from?
1: Oh, interesting. Well, the only thing I can think of is a really old, like 17th century word term, which was merry sorry. So if you were merry sorry, you're kind of, yeah, you know, you're kind of brushing it off, but you're sort of giving an apology because it's required. But uh, yeah. A merry. So it's sorry. like,
0: I'm pissed as a fart. Sorry. In fact, I'm very happy <laughs> being pissed as a fart. I don't exactly. mean the sorry. That's it. I'm merry sorry. I like Very that. story sorry.
1: Yeah, I like that one. But that's as much as I can do. I can't think of a modern one. I think it's calling out for a kind of blend. You know, the way that we really just produce new words all the time is by blending and putting existing words, parts the, of existing words together.
0: The origin of the word sorry, the apology sorry, mm, is to express sorry. regret. It comes yeah. from sorrow. Yeah. And the origin of sorrow is what?
1: Uh, the origin of sorrow is definitely Old English. I'm... I'm trying not to look this one up but i think i'm gonna to have to yeah old english it's related to the german it's germanic and it's related to the german zorge the Zorgen is to sort of have cares and so that it probably then goes back to the same proto-indo-european ancient root but yeah old english
0: it was quite funny i went to tesco on the tricycle Yesterday, mm. and uh, to do the shopping because I've now I've got this tricycle. I'm saying to do all the shopping, that's the downside. Mm. I got the road like looking like Miss Marple, and uh, with my basket at the front, basket at the back, and I fill up with the shopping. But in our socially distanced Tesco, there's sort of we're all in little sort of two meter square blocks with mm. the stripy lines. I counted. I was only in there for about five minutes. I counted more than a 100 people saying sorry. Because as I went in, I said sorry. Someone said sorry to me. I then tried to go past somebody. They said sorry. I then was trying to reach something. I said <laughs> sorry. The person who was actually putting their thing back said, oh, sorry, I mustn't do that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry, they said, putting it in the basket. And by the time I got to the till, where I found I'd forgotten my card and had to say sorry, and I said, would you take cash? And they said sorry. It was a sorry state of affairs, and more than 100 sorries had been said. Good do grief. you think... It's the British who say sorry more than any other country. Well, let's ask the purple people what they yes. think. Are we, we probably have more to be sorry about, but are we the sorriest lot on the planet?
1: I do remember when I went to Germany, when I lived in Germany for a while, I did say entschuldigung a lot to people. And I what don't that remember, mean? that means sorry. And I don't remember so many people saying it back to me, which suggests it might've just been me translating my sorry. Do you know,
0: for years, that would say that word again for sorry in German?
1: So the Ent is a bit swallowed, it's Entschuldigung, but it's, it comes across as Oh, schuldigung.
0: this is so embarrassing. Oh. I, I I thought the word for sorry in German was Gesundheit.
1: Oh, no, that's when you sneeze. That's, a, that's bless you. That It means health, but it's what you say when someone sneezes. Oh, Lord,
0: I've been going around Germany for years saying sorry, meaning saying Gesundheit. Oh, Gesundheit. Didn't mean, oh, Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> they no. they think, Oh, bless. They think I'm a sort of Latin day Martin Luther going around giving blessings <laughs> everywhere I go. Oh, dear. Oh, I love that.
1: Yes, that's Now, completely any, completely. any more questions?
0: We've got, have we got time for one more.
1: Uh, we have got time
0: for one more. Oh, this is one from David Morgan. Hello. Is there a technical term for the, I think it's a hashtag symbol. It's mm. that two lines vertically and then two lines horizontally across it. I'd call it a hashtag signal. Mm. Anyway, he says, I've heard it called the hash sign or the pound sign. It isn't a pound sign at all, is it? I think no. the latter is a reference to weight rather than currency. However, uh, a long time ago, I was told that the proper name is Octothorpe. Mm. O-C-T-O-T-H-O-R-P-E. However, I cannot find any source for this. Love the show. Thank you, David Morgan.
1: Mm. Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, they will indeed tell you that it is an octothorpe. Octo meaning having eight component parts or eightfold. The Thorpe bit is very strange. So most dictionaries will say that the origin is uncertain. It was apparently coined in the early 60s by an employee of Bell Laboratories who this is what one person says is that there are eight points on the symbol. So Wokto was a natural, but then they needed more letters or another syllable to make it a noun. And as someone who was active in the group, this is where it gets very strange, was trying to get a swimmer called Jim Thorpe's Olympic medals returned to him. Thought Let's call it Thorpe because it would be unique. Sounds... Slightly strange, but there is one person who said they were there at that time. Others have said it arises from the use of the symbol in cartography, where a Thorpe represents a village. But then others who also worked at Bell Laboratory said it was completely arbitrary. So the answer is, who knows? I don't think Octothorpe is a very satisfactory term at all, precisely for that reason. It does not tell you what it is. And, you know, it it does seem completely random.
0: Knock, knock. Who's there? Hacienda. Hacienda who? Hacienda, that section. <laughs> Let us move on now to your favourite words of the week. I did think, I I'm, I love knock-knock jokes. And hmm. you know, I've been sharing a few gems that my one of my grandchildren has been yes. providing me with. And I thought we might explore the world of the knock-knock joke. And also, actually, we'll have more serious stuff as well. I want to talk a bit more about Dr. Johnson. And maybe, we know he introduced some interesting words to the language, Dr. Who. Oh. Uh the TV show has introduced mm. some words to the language. Mm. The TARDIS. The, I don't know, the, the Exactly. Mm. So I thought we might have a, a Doctor Doctor episode okay. next week. That but sounds good. T- do
1: you know there's a knock-knock joke in Shakespeare, I think? We can talk about I, that. There
0: is. It's mm. in Macbeth. It's is the it? origin of the knock-knock joke. There you joke. go. It's the first ever knock-knock joke.
1: But they, they don't actually use that formula, do they?
0: They don't have the payoff. No. But we'll explore all that, OK? okay.
1: That sounds uh, good.
0: So we've got some good ones coming up. I'll just do one more. Knock-knock. Who's there? The Interrupting Cow. Oh, I know what's coming. The Interrupting... <laughs> <laughs> well, someone uh, was easily pleased, even at our age. What are they, to raise the game, what have you got for us this week? Three interesting words that are not in our current vocabulary, but that's all okay. to me.
1: Okay. This one just tickled me. I have a feeling it may be on the minds of many people who have put up with someone in their family or in their flat or whatever for too long during lockdown. And that is to dispester, which is a now obsolete English verb, meaning to get rid of a nuisance. (laughs) to dispester yourself so many people longing for dispesterance this is another really useful word i think i don't know why it's not better known apart from the fact that it's not a very obvious word it's scottish from the scots dictionary and it's four nail f-o-r-n-a-l-e but it just fills a gap really because it means to spend money before you have it Ooh, to fortnail. So you nail something before you actually have the wherewithal to pay for it, I But it's not spelt
0: like nail, N-A-I-L, it's but N-A-L-E.
1: It is N-A-L-E, although the dictionary does also have N-I-L, uh, A-L.
0: For a nail is to spend before you can afford it.
1: Yes, yes, oh, for nail. Yes. And then Vigilus is another oh. really obscure one from the OED. It's A-V-I-D-U-L-O-U-S, vigilus. And, or avidulous, you could say. And it means somewhat greedy. So not totally greedy, just a little bit. Somewhat greedy.
0: I think that's what I am. That's why I have to be on the low-carb diet. Because I'm somewhat. So- I am somewhat greedy. That's, okay. that's the problem. I can't resist things. Anyway, <laughs> so those are your words. I've got some poems for you this week. Some Great. nursery rhymes. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb, but instead of a plum, he squirted fruit juice in his eye. <laughs> Bear in mind, these <laughs> that have been... One from? Is that from your grandson? Yes, these Aww. have been provided by a seven-year-old. Mary Aww. had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was black as soot. And into Mary's bread and jam, its sooty foot it put. Mary had a little lamb. You've heard this tale before. But did you know she passed a plate and had a little more? Mary had a little lamb. She ate it with mint sauce. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb went too, of course.
1: Oh, for vegetarians like us, that's actually quite sad. Yeah. (laughs) We will never eat roast lamb again. Well, after that, please can you write in your reviews, your questions, whatever you would like to say to us? You can tweet either Jazz or me at our Twitter addresses. We're quite easy to find on Twitter, actually. Or you can email us at purple at something else.com. And as always, no G in something else.com.
0: Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett, with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Harriet Wells, Grace Laker, and the man who, interestingly enough, when I asked him last week what the last television show he'd seen was, because that's apparently the name he has to give to his penis, told me it was
1: 40-year-old virgin. Yes, it's (laughs) Gully.